Hello and welcome to the Women in Industry podcast. My name is Kirsty Davis Chinnock, and today I'm joined by Karen Robinson from Boal Extrusion. Boal Extrusion has aluminium extrusion facilities in the Netherlands and the United Kingdom, and they specialise in designing, extruding, and finishing aluminium profiles for a wide variety of sectors, including high tech greenhouse construction, building systems profiles for high-quality partition walls, facade systems, ladder and access product manufacturing, and fastening systems for solar panels. They have over five decades worth of experience, allowing them to serve clients all over the world. And Karen is the HR manager at Boal in the UK. So welcome, Karen. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, Thank you for inviting me. I always make a point and I've said this on a few podcasts I sort of tend to stalk people a bit on LinkedIn (laughs) to find out a bit you know about them and you've worked in the manufacturing industry for over 15 years now and you've worked in a variety of different sectors automotive plastics digital manufacturing and now you're in aluminium extrusion so did you plan a career in manufacturing or did it just happen Um, in all honesty no uh, my degree is actually in media and cultural studies, which is completely different. Um, having left uni, I got a couple of sales sales jobs, which I'll be honest, they weren't my cup of tea. Um, <clears throat> the last one was a recruitment company, and unfortunately, they closed the office. So I was made redundant, um, and obviously, I had bills to pay. So I got a temp job as a receptionist at IAC, which was my first manufacturing position. After I think it was about three weeks, they took me on permanently, and then the HR admin role came available, and they said, "Well, you know, do you want to give it a go?" Um, they paid for me to do my CIPD, and I guess the rest is history, really. It, it's it's quite interesting, and I'm sure other industries are the same, but a lot of people fall into manufacturing by accident and mm. never leave. No, <laughs> <laughs> you never leave. Um, and, and so you were doing the role, um, an admin role in HR, you do mm-hmm. your CIPD as well. Yeah. Um, how did you find working full time and studying at the same time? It's a lot to juggle. It was. Um, at the time, my husband worked weekends, so it meant that I had the weekends to be able to get my studying done. It was before I had my daughter as well. So um, I did have I did have more time, um, but it was tiring and it was it was three years part time as well. So every Tuesday I think it's three hours in the afternoon three hours in the evening um but I think you just have a determination if it's something that you really want to do um I certainly did and you know I think I got to, I got very close to the end and thought I don't know if I can carry on but I did and I'm so pleased I did it it really does give you that I think that sort of feeling of accomplishment I was going to say mm. pride and I mean pride mm. but that can sort of come across not as um rewarding as mm. the feeling of an accomplishment does yeah. and I think everybody I, I took all my degrees while I was working and there's always that one point towards the end and you just want to throw in the towel yeah <laughs> so you qualified um in HR mm-hmm. um and then did you stay within the company did you go somewhere else um I then 
was headhunted to go to Plastic Omnium and they were starting up a new plant, which was um, tailgates for Jaguar Land Rover. Um, and I've got to say that that was probably one of the best achievements and the greatest achievements because um, I was literally given a list of job titles, a list of salaries. Off you go. Um, we were moving the tailgates over from France, so there was a lot of travelling involved. Um, but what I liked about the startup was that there was there was such a com camaraderie and, you know, such a close knit team because we all started together. Um, and weirdly enough, I ended up marrying one of them, but that's another story. <laughs> yeah, it happens to the best of us, don't it worry does. about it. it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but doing that, so you were basically just given a shopping list, like go and yeah. find these people. That's um, it. It, it's, that sounds like it would have been great fun. But also, there was such a lot of responsibility there. It was like, mm. there's the deep end, can you swim? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was, but... I think once we started getting the people on board, um, it was not long after me that the plant director started. His name was Dave Horstman. Um, and we had a really good relationship and we just we just built the team together. Um, and of course, then, you know, it was getting into the building, which was which was brand new. It was putting all the machinery in. And like I said, we were such a close knit team. Um, we just it was great. We just really gelled and everybody got on really well. It's a bit of a sort of like of a dream startup, isn't it? Because, mm. you know, you, you've got your budget, but because it, you're coming for, you know, it's a a, a new branch of an established company, mm. you know, the, the, there is money in the, in the, in the coffers mm -hmm. to do that. Um, but so it, it's, it's what I would plan to do if I ever won the lottery. I'd go yeah. and get my brand new factory built and mm. ha have a shopping list of machines. Yeah. Oh, I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> jealous. <laughs> So you, you've had sort of several different roles, which you mm. touched earlier about the different sectors you've worked in. Does the HR um, differ greatly depending which sector? I mean, people are people and mm. jobs are jobs, aren't they? So is it very similar across all the industries you've worked in? I would say to a degree, yes. You're right, people are people. Um, I would say that the issues that I deal with um, the engagement side, the training, that all tends to be the same. Obviously, your product and process are very different. Um, and also whether the site is unionised or not, because that can make quite a difference as well. Um, but I would say the only difference I found really is because of working in first tier automotive, um, they very much have to go to the beat of the drum of the OEM. So it can, it's very lean and... It, but you've got a lot of systems in place. What The only thing I've found is going to smaller companies who aren't first tier or they're just standalone or whatever they may be, they don't always have that structure in place. Um, it's not a bad thing because it means it's something we can work on. Um, but yeah, from what you said, you know, people are people at the end of the day. So it does tend to be quite similar from that perspective. What are the things um, with people being people? And you're going back to setting up that, um, you know, the, the new factory uh, with the, the plant director when mm. he came on board with you, is you can directly design the culture you want. Yes. You've got a blank piece of paper, mm -hmm. whereas anywhere else there is all already an element of culture, mm -hmm. both good and bad. I mean, yeah. no, one, no company's all good and no company's all bad. It's, there's always a mix. Mm -hmm. um, 
and, and culture is really important and HR is so important with that. Yeah. Um, you were talking about systems um, in smaller companies. Um, do you find that the lack of systems or an over-reliance on systems can impact the culture? Um, I would say really that it's more... If there's a if there's if there's a lack of systems, people don't always know any different. Um, if they particularly when they've been in a company for a very long time, and this is always the way we've done it, um, and so and change is hard. Some people really struggle with change, um, but I think you know particularly when you're looking from an auditing perspective, um, systems are important and they do make your life easier. Um, but it can be difficult if people when you bring something new in I think yeah and you don't want people to be over reliant on them and lose mm. that element of creativity do mm. you I suppose yeah that's very true yeah so what does a typical day look like for you what do you work on on a regular basis mm. do you know it's funny because no two days are ever the same um I'm a generalist I do everything um, and I like it that way. I've never wanted to specialise, to be honest. Um, so I look after the whole cycle, employee cycle. So right from recruitment all the way through to when the person leaves the business. So, you know, learning and development, succession planning, employee engagement. Um, we do a lot of um, things around charity work. Um, and just, you know, I mean, we had a burger van the other week just as a thank you to our colleagues for working really hard this year. And it's, I like that, I really like that side of thing. I really like the whole people as people rather than just pe people who just do bits and stuff. Um, and I really, yeah, that's my type of thing. But no two days are ever the same. I can honestly say that. Never have been. <laughs> and it, it, we're recording this in December for it to go yes. out in January. Um, so it's that time of year where you really can um treat the team like you said you had a yeah. burger van we gave out chocolates mm. yes yesterday tomorrow we've got a buffet so it's but it is nice to have that little interaction with people mm. and remind them that you know they are valued oh definitely um, yeah definitely because i think perhaps maybe the old-fashioned way of thinking things and you know we were mentioning culture earlier is do as I tell you, just get the parts out of the door. Um, and now we are in a business and, in a, and a climate where people are really important because actually they're the ones that get the work done. They're the ones that will get the good quality parts out the door. Um, and just encouraging people to perhaps be more compassionate and um, you know treat people as they would wish to be treated themselves in many ways. Um, and so there's a cult there's definitely a culture piece of moving away from the old fashioned manufacturing culture to a more um, compassionate and holistic approach, I think. Definitely. I mean, I know I've spent sort of like I spent probably 20 odd years trying to get rid of the them and us. Mm. Um, and by bringing on the, the person who's making the part, getting their collaboration, getting mm -hmm. their ideas you know this is an intelligent person who and that's the job that they do mm. if anyone's going to know how to shave 30 seconds off getting that part from start to finish it's them ask oh, them <laughs> yeah so you, you're you're in the um, aluminium extrusion sector yeah. now 
Uh, is the metal sector similar to others you've worked in? Uh, are there any glaring differences or is it, you know, still? Um, quite different because, I mean, most of my background has been plastics. Um, when I worked at Liberty Pressings, that was um, metal bashing effectively. Um, but the, the business itself was in a very, very different place. Um, since I've left, the business has actually closed down. It's, it's no longer there. Um, whereas I, where I am now is very profitable. Um, in fact, we've just done quite a big investment. We've bought a new log oven for Press 6. Um, so the businesses themselves are very different. So it's difficult to compare. Um, also here, we have so many different types of customers, whereas at Liberty, we're mainly automotive. So it was, it was difficult to compare those, really. And I, I think, you know, just looking at what Boal do, you're, you're not um, tied into one specific sector. Yeah. Um, your products go into so many. If one's quiet, then another's busy. Mm -hmm. um, and it's all about diversification, isn't it? You know, um, that, that's going to help uh, the business to grow and prosper. Mm -hmm. And talking about diversification, as well mm -hmm. as your day job, you're also a certified coach, uh, yeah. an ICF, ICF certified coach. Um, what made you look at coaching specifically? I think, well, there's various various reasons. In, in, in HR, you, you are a natural coach anyway. Um, I think that I've always had um, an interest in how the human mind works. Um, and, you know, I don't know, it just fascinates me. Um, I felt that I needed, I'd got to a point in my HR career where I thought I just need something else. Um, and the thing is with coaching, it, it's different to counselling because counselling is more about, is more problem focused and more about the path. Whereas um, coaching is more solution focused and more about the future. Um, and, you know, for me, if I want to be able to help people. That's, that's what I am about really in my core. So it's it just seemed it just seemed something like a natural flow for me to go into, um, and once I'd actually completed my course, I, well, I loved it, absolutely loved it. I think you made an interesting point there, the difference between counselling mm. and coaching, um, and coaching isn't going to um, give you the answers. It's going to enable you to almost be empowered. I'm not sure yeah. I like the word empowered, but mm -hmm. um, empowered to have the courage to carry on, to learn new skills, mm -hmm. learn new tools, take yeah. that scary step. That's it. Um, so you, you're almost the stabilizers on a bike, aren't you, at the beginning yeah. of someone's journey? Yeah, that's journey. a really good analogy. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I like that as well. I impress yeah. myself sometimes. I'm, I might choose, I might um, use that if you don't mind. <laughs> that's fine. Um, I, I might, I wonder if uh, stabilizers on a bike, Karen's the stabilizers on your bike. That might be your podcast title. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but you said you, you went into this because you wanted to help people. Yeah. Um, and you're a volunteer at St Giles Hospice, a volunteer coach. Mm. How did you get involved with that? So, oh, so St Giles Hospice, they're based just outside Litchfield in the Midlands. Um, they look after people, basically. It tends to be palliative end-of-life care. Um, ever since I can remember, my dad used to do fundraising for them. Um, and then as I grew older, I sort of did it the same. 
And then unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, I've lost a few people close to me over the past few years. But I say fortunately because their final days, they were in St Giles. And I cannot cannot tell you how great the people there are. Um, And for me, you know, yeah, I still do fundraising. I did an abseil in April for them. Um, But for me, it's I wanted to be able to give something else back. Um, So I do some coaching with some of the um, senior leadership team there. Um, And that was, yeah. And I really enjoy it. And it's something for them as well. They're getting something out of it as well. Which is, you know, going back to you wanting to help people, but you're helping the people who help others. Yeah. Uh, um, I'm a business ambassador for Acorns Children's Hospice. Mm. Um, And the first time I went around one of the hospices, it surprised me what such a sort of calm and Mm. almost happy place it was. They're not scary. And... The people there are just having the most wonderful care Mm -hmm. for when they need it most. Um, And I think sometimes we're a bit too scared to Mm. open the door a bit. Um, Whereas finding out before you or someone you love needs it Mm. is probably the best thing to do. Oh, definitely. So obviously it sounds incredibly rewarding uh, the coaching you're doing with the leadership team at St. Giles Hospice. Mm-hmm. When you have a, a, a regular client, you know, Joe Bloggs mm-hmm. or Jane Bloggs, um, what part of the coaching journey that you, you're on with them um, is most rewarding for you? Oh, there's, there's a few things. Um, the light bulb moment is always great when they suddenly realise something. Um or something just falls into place for them. Um, being able to see the difference from when they join me and then several coaching sessions later. And, you know, it's, sometimes it's like a weight's been lifted. They've got some form of clarification on something or they've got a plan in place and they're starting to move forwards with this plan. Um, and I just think it, it's it's the making the difference. Um, and I always say to people, you know, oh, you've done some really great work this session. And they'll say, oh, no, it wasn't me, it was you. And I'm like, it wasn't. I don't do the work. I, I just ask you a couple of questions, really. You're the one that's thinking about it and, you know, opening those parts of the brain that we don't always have open and, and things like that. So, but I, yeah, it's um, it's great when you see them walk out the door and they've got a massive grin on the face or they've got that plan in, of action in place and you know that they're just going to go and smash it. It's great. <laughs> It's when you're in that moment when you're sort of firing on all cylinders and you feel like nothing can stop you. It's amazing, A, how much you can physically get done. (laughs) Uh, And B, it's such a um, fabulous sort of moment. If if I'm in that sort of zone, um, I have my own soundtrack going on in the background. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's normally this girl is on fire. (laughs) you just do you just you don't feel like anything can stop you yeah Um, and it takes all the hard work out of it you just sort of fly through it Mm -hmm. which is is absolutely fantastic and having someone put you on that path where Mm -hmm. yeah you're going to fall over occasionally but you know if you can sort of keep going um even when it gets a bit sticky underfoot and that's normally because you're scared yeah um, exactly (laughs) Oh, absolutely terrified. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when you're sort of 
scared or terrified or doubting yourself, it, it's really easy to sort of, you know, not carry on that path to procrastinate. Yeah. And you put a really interesting post up on LinkedIn a few weeks ago where you were talking about procrastination being more about emotions mm-hmm. than, than physical behaviours or task-based behaviours. Yeah. Uh, could you elaborate on that a bit more? Yeah. So, I mean, you, to be honest, you uh, mentioned a few things there. So a lot of people think procrastination is about being lazy or having no or little motivation. Um, when in actual fact, it's really about fear of failure. Um, you know, you, you have a lot, you have negative self-doubt um, and, th- you know, I can't do this. Why would they pick me? You know, there's a little bit of imposter syndrome going on there um and really it's it's about overcoming those those negative feelings and thoughts and behaviors and if anything trying to be brave coming out of your comfort zone um you know as as humans we are hardwired to want to go towards pleasure rather than pain so why would you why would you risk the pain of failing when if you're in your comfort zone, you're actually quite happy and cosy and it's lovely and warm and squishy. Um, but in the short, but that's okay in the short term, but in the long term, actually you're not going to get anywhere. So the idea behind it is that you sort of give yourself a prep talk and you become brave and you take those risks and it might just be one little thing at a time. You know, we're not expecting massive leaps and bounds here. It is just one step at a time. But the idea being is that you take those little risks, you step outside your comfort zone. And then in the long term, that's where you get the pleasure. That's where you get your reward. That That's really interesting. You talk about the, the sort of the comfort zone mm. and um, it's sort of been all warm and squishy. And mm. most people who were in a comfort zone at some point that was the scary place, mm. um, whether it was being headhunted to be head of HR and set up a new, new plant in the UK from a job you'd already been in. Um, so the comfort zone constantly moves. Mm. Um, is it, do you think, how fast the comfort zone moves sometimes? Um, or is it the fact it's almost not moving at all that almost make people become almost blinkered to what they can and can't achieve? I suppose that's really about, I understand where you're coming from. Um, it's about a growth or a fixed mindset. So people with the, a fixed mindset are very much, this is my lot, this is my box, this is where I am in my comfort zone. And you just sort of move with it. With the with the growth mindset, you think actually I can learn new, learn new skills. I can learn to be able to do things in a different way, and I am willing to take that risk. So I think it's. I mean, your comfort zone, I suppose, as well. Like you said, because it's movable, you can actually. I suppose it expands as well. So you may feel comfortable in one area in your life and then think, you know, I'm, I'm happy at home. I've got a lovely life, but I want to make that extra step in my career or something like that. So I don't, I'm not really answering your question. I'm thinking about it from several <laughs> different aspects. No, I just thought that it was, it was really interesting what you said. And you mentioned risk as well. 
Mm. Um, and, and there's also, I suppose, the possibility that stepping outside your comfort zone um, isn't a calculated risk. It can also mm. be reckless. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, if you sort of jump too far or in the wrong direction. And, it could be. And, and how people... I've got an allergy of people jumping out of like a lifeboat and like yeah. missing the shore and like having to swim back, uh, which is a really bad visual. But um, but it's it's how would you coach people to calculate whether a risk is a potentially good risk? You know, mm-hmm. th- there are potential rewards if the work's put in and some luck, or if it's pretty much purely reckless. How would you get them to identify between the two? Uh, usually, usually in a in a coaching session, um, I'd start off with effectively, you know, where are you now? Where do you want to be? And then we do some work on that. Where do you want to be? Um, how important is it to them to get there? Um, you know, questions like that will make you think. Well, you know, do I risk losing the roof over my head? Or um, is it just really important so I can spend a bit more time with my family, but I might have to put a bit of extra work in in the meantime or, you know, something along those lines. Um, And it's really, really being able to dig down into exactly what it is that they want. Once we've established that, then we can start looking at, well, this is where you are now. How how are you going to get there? And I think when you're going through the journey of how you get there, and this isn't necessarily in one session, this is over a period of time. Again, you start chunking it down, breaking it down into little steps. And as you take those little steps, then you'll start to see, well, yeah, I've got to put my foot out. It's a bit like dipping your toe in the water, isn't it? So I'll I'll go and do this and I'll see how I get on. If I fail, then I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to learn from it and then I'm going to try something slightly different. And then we'll go from there. And it's it's really about making sure they know it's, it's almost a visualisation. You know, sometimes we use vision boards. Sometimes it's just a case of discussing it and really going into detail as to what they want. Um, but, yeah, really understanding what it is. And then you sort of see the risks as you go along, I think. And they then will see them themselves. I think that's really interesting, sort of the dipping the toe in the water analogy. Um, but more importantly, you just said if it fails learn from it yeah um you know if you, you've got to go from one to a hundred go one to five and if that fails you can turn left a bit and maybe you'll That's get it. to ten in that direction if mm-hmm. you go from one to a hundred immediately mm-hmm. the failure is going to be much bigger but mm-hmm. also it's going to probably stop you from trying again yeah you're not going to learn from it you're going to hide from it yeah Exactly. And that's that's the whole procrastination thing again. Mm. So So, talking about comfort zones there. Yeah. So I'm going to be a bit cheeky now. When did you last step out of your comfort zone? I'm doing it right now. (laughs) I've never done a podcast before. So you you're my first. Um, And I was a little bit nervous because I thought, you know, what happens if I forget what I want to say? What happens if, you know, Um, but I'm enjoying myself. So, oh, that's good because I'm still yeah. fairly new at it. I think. Yeah. And we so in 2023 we've released 32. Oh, um, wow. 
we've we've had all sorts of technical issues we've had people's cameras not work we've had sound disappear I've had to re-record too because it just went so wrong but oh no oh I know but again it's and it's about stepping outside your comfort zone it's not Hmm. about the first one it's about number 100 Um, and hopefully by then I'll be better at it you will you will you're doing a great job now Kirsty well I just I'm just nosy I just like hearing from you all who are doing such great things um (laughs) you mentioned the ab sale that you did but you've also recently done a dog friendly run um to raise money for charity um for a company that or charity that works with um ways to help prevent homelessness and work with Mm -hmm. people who are suffering from homelessness um is is that through Boal as well are you sort of all working together is that one of your charitable causes yeah so um it was the Loughborough Santa run which unfortunately because of the weather actually got cancelled in the end no. however, however the girls there's me uh the general manager and one of the girls from my uh, finance sorry um we're going to go and still do it around Shep Shed next week um so we are still going to go and do it although we'll be minus my dogs because I can't bring them into work um but yeah so it's um falcon service support um and they you're right they help the homeless people within loughborough and their surrounding area um you know they've got certain it's an old pub i believe and they've converted some of the rooms upstairs um so they've got places for people to come during the day and they've got a little canteen they can play darts or board games or read a book or whatever and there's lots of support there for them as well um i even saw that they have um something called street vet so the, there's a vet that will come out and see the dogs as well um, um unfortunately they've had their funding withdrawn very recently um I, wait, I, I don't know the politics to be fair but it just means that they need our support more than ever before um so boal in the uk decided that they would be our charity for 2024 um and yeah the santa room was just a, a start off really for that um, but yeah, it's just about looking after people in the local community because, you know, these, these people could come and work for us or, you know, they know someone who works for us, you know, and so, you know, we just want to be able to, to look after people really. And I think particularly with the current economic climate mm-hmm. over the last few years, um, everybody is at risk of homelessness. It's yeah. just a, a, a num- how many pay packets away you are from it. Totally agree. Um, and I think we show ourselves to really care about the community when we work with people on the ground and actually work with some of the most vulnerable people mm-hmm. in that community, yeah. um, particularly those who often are ignored or ostracised mm-hmm. and, you know, people look the other way. And we've yeah. all done that when somebody walks down between cars mm-hmm. at a traffic light. If you're on your own, it's like, yeah. I don't want to open the window. Mm. But then if I walk past someone in a busy track town centre and there's lots of people around and you're aware you're making judgments and they're probably not true. Mm. But you still yeah. do it anyway. Okay. And then a bit later you go, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. Mm. But again, think, it's part of being human, I suppose. Yeah, there's so many different things and documentaries on TV as well about homeless people who've actually got a three bed house and... I don't believe any of that. Nobody is going to lie 
on a cold concrete floor at minus two degrees, covered in rain because I've got a three bedroom house somewhere. No, no, no. 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 So, and we're over time. Oh my goodness! Me me not looking at the time. That is. (laughs) Finally, Karen, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? I've got two bits actually. Um, The first one is don't take criticism from someone who you wouldn't go to for advice oh I like that and I think sometimes you know when you're trying really hard and there are some people in this world unfortunately who just want to give you a hard time and I think sometimes you try and need to remember that maybe it's a reflection on them and not you um but yeah so and it's something that I do try to remember um, the second piece of advice would be that when you go into a business, I don't think it might, you don't have to be in HR, you could be any business really, but learn all the departments, understand who their internal customers and their ter- internal suppliers are. Um, and, a particular, and I found that particularly interesting because A, I want to understand how business works. B, in the position that I'm in, I need to really understand so that people don't bob me off because sometimes they try to um and see really you know hr is part of the should be sat at the top table and it's part of the company strategy um there are a few perhaps old-fashioned views that we just hire us and fire us but we actually have so much more value to add to a business um and by understanding everything else that goes on in the business that's just added strings to your bow really that's excellent i think that's really important um it's also a really, really astute move if you're joining a company and you're hungry for success. Yeah. Because the more you learn, the more you'll know, the more people will come to you with questions, um, the more that incredibly good reputation internally will expand externally. Mm-hmm. Um, and before you know it, you're, you're, you know, you're one to watch. So, oh, thank you so much yeah. for joining us, Karen. I really thank appreciate you. it. And, um, well, this is after Christmas now. This is going yeah. out. So <laughs> I hope you had a good Christmas. Thank um, you. <laughs> and since it, we're recording it before Christmas, Merry Christmas. And you, Merry Christmas. Thank you Thank so you. much, Kirsty. I've really enjoyed today. Thank you.